Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, my co-host Joe Stewart and myself speak with teachers of yoga, meditation and movement and learn how they share their message with the world. I hope you're having a fantastic day. I'm going pretty well myself and I have some exciting news to share with you. Over the coming weeks, we'll be partnering with Yoga Australia for some very special episodes. We'll be speaking with some of the former presidents as well as the current president, Leanne Davis, and I am really excited about it. Joe and I are both members ourselves, and quite often we see in social media a lot of people wanting to really understand the benefits of becoming members. So we wanted to ask the folks in charge. And I feel that Yoga Australia has really shaped yoga in this country. So I want to learn what these individuals have done to move yoga forward in Australia. Anyhow, look out for that in a few weeks time. We've got some great conversations coming up. Now, for today's episode, we are speaking with Ruth Salter. Ruth is a yoga teacher who now works as a love, sex and relationships coach. Ruth is a friend of ours and she has a unique and interesting perspective on yoga, coaching and sexuality, so we were really excited to speak with her. But before we get on with the interview, I just wanted to let you know about our upcoming community classes at Garden of Yoga, our studio. These classes start on Thursday the 25th of July at 6pm. Our first guest teacher is Coco Nkrumah, who we had on the podcast a while back. We spoke with him about his work as a meditation teacher and he's got some deep insights and is just a marvellous teacher. So I'm really looking forward to this. You'll need to book online for free and any donations on the day would be much appreciated. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes on our website, podcast.flowartist.com. All right, that is way too much talking from me. Let's get on to our conversation with Ruth. Thanks so much for coming and speaking with us today, Ruth. It's absolutely fantastic to have you here. Perhaps you could just start by telling us a little bit about your background and where you grew up. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to to join you guys on your podcast. Yeah, I grew up in Tasmania. My parents are Estonian and Australian, and I grew up on a a hobby farm with lots of goats. Man, like how have you not ended up in the field of goat yoga? (laughs) This is going to happen at some point, right? (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of yoga, how did you discover yoga? Well, the very first memory I have of yoga was actually my mum doing yoga at a community hall. And I think I must have been such a nightmare for the ladies who were in the class because all I remember of it is being in a sleeping bag at the back and going, look, mum, I'm a caterpillar. (laughs) I think while they were doing Shavasana. Perfect timing. Yeah. (laughs) Adorable. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. Um, After that, I didn't do yoga. Obviously, didn't keep going to classes with my mum. So I picked it up again in my early 20s. When I was working in London, I had a really, really stressful job. And at that stage, I was one of those people who thought I literally couldn't relax. I thought I was physiologically not able to do that. And I remember going to, to yoga and going through it and thinking I was pretty bad at all the moves. But at the end, I was like, oh, my God, I can relax. So I was hooked pretty quickly. May I ask what the job was? The job was working for a company called Comic Relief, which is a okay, for-profit. Yep. I'm familiar with them. Wow. Cool. Yeah, yes, I know. It was an amazing job. Yeah, right. <laughs> While being a bit stressful. <laughs> Very stressful, yeah. <laughs> Would people just jump out of nowhere and tell you jokes? or <laughs> <laughs> no no but I do remember my boss at one stage saying to me oh could you just go to half the class and then come back because we're quite busy and I was like oh you don't understand how yoga works do you yeah, <laughs> no. No. oh my goodness 
So did you have any key teachers with your yoga practice? I guess that first teacher was pretty... I think your first yoga teacher always, like, is kind of your yoga hero. Mm. Um, I know. Some people are like, I don't even remember my first teacher. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, no, I definitely remember Danny, her name was. And honestly, I've had so many amazing yoga teachers, especially when I was doing my teacher training. Um, quite a few people that you guys have interviewed, I think. You've interviewed Kay, Tribe, Andrew Moneas was amazing, Lee Baskey. Like, really, if I started listing them, I'd have to list every single person on that <laughs> course. And, then... <laughs> and did you guys do your training together? Is that right? Same course, different years. Oh, yeah. Right. Me and Ruth met working in organic fruit and veg shop. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah, we actually got banned from talking about yoga because... <laughs> <laughs> Well, we can make up for that now. Yeah. <laughs> and also, like, even worse than that, banned from eating on the job. Yeah. <laughs> Tough times. Yeah. <laughs> no snacks and no yoga talk. Now you, you work in coaching. Um, what prompted the move from yoga into coaching? I think, in a way, for me, coaching feels almost, it feels like yoga in a way. And in a way, it feels more like what I understand the origins of yoga to be, where you worked one-on-one with somebody to gain wisdom. I think of coaching as part of my yoga practice, if that makes any sense. And this is a fairly recent thing because I didn't really realise until I talked to a lot of coaches who don't have a yoga background how influential the yoga philosophy has been on how I do things. And for me, like, I think of the origins of yoga or, or my understanding of them as being like a one-on-one practice where you worked with a guru and you kind of understood things about yourself and you kind of cleared through to find freedom and bliss and all of those sorts of things. And I really feel like that is what coaching does in the way that, in the style that I do it. And because the coaching that I do is tantra-based coaching as well. And I mean, tantra literally comes from the same origins as yoga. So I felt like I'd taken a big sidestep when I moved into coaching. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, you're still on the same path, Ruth. You've almost kind of honed in even more. And so you've given us a little bit of an insight, but are there any other aspects of your yoga practice that you use in your work today? all of it I think Um, the ability to be present with people the ability to hold space I think came from yoga the yoga teaches you to really slow down and to really observe and witness what's happening and I think that's in some ways one of the most important attributes that like a coach can have and in lots of ways that I'm sure I don't even know anymore because yeah as I say like I didn't really realize until I talked to other coaches how much the yoga philosophy is like just so ingrained in me I couldn't even tell separate which of the yogury bits and which aren't anymore. I can imagine mm. as well. I know as a teacher, anytime I have a real plan of what I want to do in the session, it won't work out. Like yeah. someone will come in with a sore wrist, someone else will be pregnant. Like there'll be a whole lot of other reasons why I kind of change direction mid-course. And I imagine that ability which you would have honed as a yoga teacher would serve you really well as a coach as well, like being really present with that person and rather than having your agenda, like... Definitely, yeah, definitely. And being able to pick up on the energy that they say something because I'll always do a check-in with people at the start and like three celebrations because it's always nice to start with the things that are working. And very often the energy of their voice will be like, oh, okay, so I thought we might go in this direction, but this week it really feels like this needs attention. Totally like a yoga teacher. Um, And I think one of the big yoga things that I feel that seems like a no, really obvious no-brainer thing to me is that it's service to the person that I'm working with. Like I'm there as a guide. And I didn't really realise until being in a few group programs with other people that that was a surprise to them. They were like, oh, it's all about service. And it's like, yeah, what did you think it was about? (laughs) Yeah, totally. What did you think you were doing here? (laughs) I think we, we get so trained in that in yoga where everything in our life becomes part of our journey and we think in terms of service and we think in terms of the, the origins of, of what we're doing. So an example being food, you know, we think about was this food prepared with love? Did it come from an ethical source? All of that sort of stuff. That's what I mean. And it's just so ingrained as a perspective on life that it feels like this is just another aspect of, 
of yoga, really. Though in mm. a yoga class, it's not a rigid structure, but I guess we'll always ease into it with, you know, something to warm up and kind of center ourselves and then maybe build in physical intensity and then maybe go a little deeper in some of those stretches or add in some things that require that more honed level of concentration and then mm. finish with a relaxation and a meditation. Does a, a coaching session have any structure like that or is it all just as it unfolds? I do have structure. I do it literally the same way as I did yoga classes where I would go in with a plan. I liked having it there and I'd probably use bits of it and a lot of it I wouldn't use. Our brains understand and feel safe with knowing patterns. So I always open the same way, always close the same way. So it's kind of like this, a full circle in a similar way to a yoga class and then what happens in between is whatever needs to happen. <laughs> <laughs> we we're talking before and you usually work with people for 10 sessions or so. So you might yeah. have an overarching structure yeah. for how that whole course Yeah, I, I do. I have a journey that I want that I think would be great to take them on. <laughs> and then we see how it goes. Um, and quite often what will happen is we'll go through the 10 sessions and then we'll have a couple of weeks break and then they'll book another round and have a couple of weeks break and then book another because it's like really peeling back those layers. A lot of the time when people come into coaching, they think there's a thing that they think they want to work on. Like, oh, you know, I want to save my relationship or I want to heat up my sex life or something and then we'll start exploring what's going on. And quite often, you know, in, t in the first 10 sessions, it's almost like that is the time that where they're actually able to work out what they really want. Once they start peeling back stuff and get, getting permission to be like, what's really working, what isn't, where, where, how are things really feeling? That it's like, oh, actually. So it almost feels like, you know, being an enormous advanced kind of pattern. And so are there any aspects of coaching that stand out as being really different from teaching yoga? That's a really, really good question. I think it's more satisfying for me in a way than when I was teaching yoga because I'm holding space and I'm with people for their whole journey. Whereas when you're teaching yoga, it's like you'll be, even if you're doing a private class, you'll be taking somebody through the poses, but you're not actually sharing, like they're not telling you, oh, now I'm feeling this and that. And so it feels like a really enormous privilege to get to really go on an inner journey with people like that. So selfishly, I'd say, yes, it's a bit different and in a really good way because I get to come on the ride with you. <laughs> Yeah, because you work on sex and intimacy and relationship issues yeah. with your clients, which we don't usually get into in a yoga yeah. class. <laughs> <laughs> Not generally, no. So I guess with yoga, you, could, you kind of need to build a bit of a rapport and then take students through a session. But with me, like, I really need to build rapport. I need to spend some time making sure they feel safe. To, to talk to me about whatever it is that they want to talk to me about because people are not generally like, so, my sex life. <laughs> I've got a real blockage about this. And I think if people are that comfortable about talking about it, they probably wouldn't talk to a coach. They'd be telling all of their friends, <laughs> like, way more than what their friends want to hear. True, yeah. <laughs> we, all, we all have those friends, um, <laughs> including me. And then we go through, so the, the reason that the coaching is tantra-based is because it's body-based. So the way that we will explore something is we'll talk about what the, what the person wants to create, what their goal is, and then we literally see what happens. We visualise it. We do a process called a five senses reality, which is showing like what would it look like to have this, what would it feel like, what would it taste like, what would it smell like, and what would I sound like, I guess. I think I didn't say sound. When you kind of get all of your body involved in that, then you can feel into what's happening inside. Your body will give you signals about what's going on in your psyche. So sometimes people will be like, they'll start thinking about their goal and they might never have realised that they do this, but they might just start getting really tight in the stomach or in the shoulders or get a little pain or something going on. And then we can explore. So you can literally go into the body sensations to explore what's happening. And it's so beautiful and so powerful because when you when you say working at the level of, of our mind, like we all know our minds are very clever and tricksy at getting around things. And even when you get your emotions involved, it's still like you can think something's happening and it's very easy to get caught up in a story about what's happening. You'd be like, oh, this is because when I was five, you know, my mum said I should never eat peas. I don't know, whatever it is. When you work with the body, like it's just absolute truth. This is exactly what's going on for you. 
this is exactly what you need to support you and this is how it works. So, so it's really, really beautiful. And I think like anybody who's done yoga will understand a bit about body wisdom and it's just like, yeah, body wisdom is so amazingly powerful. <laughs> it's actually a question that I've had on my mind, especially seeing some of the things that different coaches kind of post about online. What is the scope of practice as a coach compared to, say, a therapist or a yoga teacher? Is yeah. there an official boundary about what's ethical and what's not or is it down to the individual? Yeah, that's one of the... You could say it's a flaw of the industry or a pitfall in a way. There's been a lot of resistance to regulation, as most industries resist regulation. They haven't had regulation. So coaching is definitely not therapy. The coaching that I do is therapeutic principles. So I have some therapeutic training, but it's not therapist. But effectively, coaching is an industry where anybody can just go, right, I'm a coach now and like and come out as a coach. So if you are wanting to work in something that's more sensitive, like like sexuality or or something that's really, really important to you, I would say, like, try and try and do a bit of research on your coach first. And so do you have your own internal guideline of, like, this is my scope of practice, this is where I'd refer someone on? Yeah, so I work with, I do work with trauma. We all have some sort of trauma. It's a big word, but we all have it. But if I ever get a sense that somebody has got trauma, that they need a trauma specialist, I'll refer them on straight away. For example, I worked with a lady. She ended up being, she turned out, on a discovery call she was in a domestic violence situation she had a few other things going on a brain injury and it was like I couldn't be confident that my trying to help her was going to actually help because there is a real thing with trauma where if you aren't super aware of it it's possible to re-traumatize or to make something worse so I take that very very seriously and I did do so my coaching certification was a 600 hour training and we were very very rigorously trained in you are not a trauma specialist like don't try and wade in there and think you can <laughs> rescue people outside of your realm um doesn't happen very often but yeah definitely yeah which is part of the reason like yeah you want to again you want to be a bit careful about who you work with Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a decent amount of time training I feel like uh, I mean I understand there are some coaching courses that are I don't know maybe a weekend or a few weekends of, of that so yeah that sounds quite reputable plus you've done a lot of other training as well right yeah 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 um, I think that's something you notice as a yoga teacher as well. You do get, you can really pick an experienced yoga teacher. After mm -hmm. it doesn't take that long. 600 hours, it was, it was very, very rigorous. The, the goal was to take us massively deeper into the work than we will ever need, ever take a client. So mm -hmm. because there's a real energetic transference is a very powerful thing in a coaching session. So if I'm telling somebody, you know, oh, you're totally safe to do this. Like just, you know, feel self-love and blah, blah, blah. But I haven't actually just gone trust. there myself. Then energetically, even if they feel like they're understanding it and they're doing it, energetically they're going to pick up the truth from me, which is that I haven't. And so it's not very helpful. So No, no, I think that is really helpful. And I think it is that same, like sometimes you can go into a teacher's class and they won't say much, but so much yes. is transmitted through those few well-chosen words yeah. or just through their presence and yeah. their energy. Definitely. They'll say some little throwaway comment and you'll be like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess um, that leads us into another question because it's such an industry that's just grown so quickly. And I see so many different coaches from so many different fields online and if you were thinking that there was an aspect in your life that you needed help with like what is your advice for people coach shopping yeah. and what are some of the red flags to look out for and one of the things some of the things that are like real positives to take away from that person's way that they present themselves authenticity and integrity are the big ones for me like if I can see anybody sharing outrageously 
great results within a short amount of time, you know, it's a red flag. Because even if they have achieved those results, they're suggesting suggesting that, that is easily replicatable with a lot of people. It's a red flag because basically we all know that's not the case. Yeah, I think just, just following someone for a little while, just getting a bit of a gist of who they really are. If everything looks sort of super photoshopped, they're very slick, the, the promises are huge and doing a little bit of background research as well. There's a lot of different coaching. Like if you want to do like general life coaching, it's probably not that critical that you get somebody with a stack of training because you could just get somebody with some life experience and a great rapport who's an amazing coach for you. If you want to do, it's a little bit like if you want a yoga therapist, if you want to coach in relationships and sexuality, like do get someone with training because the person that's been a big enthusiast and had a lot of life experience and maybe even done some workshops, like it's just not the same as actually having been trained how to support other people. And it's like if you go into a yoga class, I think of it the same way you go into a yoga class at a gym sometimes and they'll be like, right, everyone headstand. And they haven't asked if anybody's got any neck injuries. <laughs> and you can see there's a couple of people that are already very flushed in the face and you're just like, oh my God, look away. Same thing in coaching. Like if you're going to be doing any any headstands <laughs> make sure you get you know how to get guided into that safely <laughs> it's actually been really interesting as well I've had people who I've known in the yoga world one week messaging me saying oh yeah I'm really struggling for work at the moment like pass on anything that you hear about and then like maybe a month later emailing me back saying oh I'm now working as a yoga business coach like yes. come work with me I can give you some financial advice you're like wait what <laughs> Yeah, there's so much of that. And there's so many coaches trying to coach other people to do what they couldn't do. And also a lot of coaches, this is a harsh truth, there's a lot of coaches using coaching as their own therapy for that exactly that thing. They're like, oh, I've been through a lot of stuff. I'm really passionate about it. So now I should help other people with it. And it's like, oh, there's a really big leap between I've been through a lot of stuff and now I should start helping other people. It's a little bit scary. <laughs> Abundance mentality. Let's discuss. <laughs> <laughs> Abundance mentality. Really, really important. Really, really important. Um, so I've been coaching full-time for a year now. Uh, so coaching before that, but as a full-time business. And abundance mentality can be challenging at times because I don't, I don't get a paycheck every week anymore. I don't get a paycheck every month. And it can seem when you're online, just like every person and their cat is now a coach and every person and their cat is saying that they do very similar things. And there's, it's a, such a fickle world as well. It's very fashion-based, something that everyone was into three months ago everyone's over it now and they're all about this um so it can feel like it's kind of there's just a lot of fish in a pond all, all chasing down the same thing but it's also just a crazy crazy way of thinking like I think abundance mentality is almost coming back to the truth that like we live in an abundant universe there's a lot of air there's a lot of food there's a lot of there's so many people in the world like most of us don't need to attract two billion of them we only need like however many people so so mindset work has been a really big thing that I've been doing over the last couple of years, like just journaling every morning, abundance meditations and that kind of thing. And that's helped a lot. Because there is that dark side to it as well, that like, oh, if you're not succeeding, it's just because you're not putting the right energy out there. Uh, and... Yeah, there's some pretty cruel stuff that's pushed around in the self-development world, I think. And I think it's always going to be a bit of a balancing act. Like one of the things that I, this is yoga as well, but one of the things that I always say to clients when they come to work with me is I'm not viewing you as broken or damaged or having a problem. I'm viewing you as already perfect and whole and we're just finding some ways to, to make your life flow more in the way that you want. Yeah, because I think there can be that perpetual up-leveling. If there's a problem, it must be your, your you know, there's people have picked up on a lot of esoteric ideas like your inner world is reflecting your outer world. People have picked up on a lot of that and kind of misused it a bit. Like, oh, well, if you're not super successful straight away, it must be a block within you. Like, what's wrong with you? Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Or if you're in an abusive relationship, it must be because of something that's wrong within mm -hmm. you, not there's something wrong with that other person. They shouldn't yeah. treat anyone like that. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of that. And there's also like this money thing where people are like, oh, well, if you 
money is just a reflection of your self-worth. Like if you don't have lots of money, you mustn't have any self-worth. And it's like, geez, like am I, I just thought I had self-worth a minute ago, but now that you've said that, I'm not sure I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's a very privileged position. It's mm. like, well, yeah, if money has always come easily from you because you come from a family where it's never been a problem, like sure, you know. Yeah. I'm sure your own outlook has an effect on how much money you can earn. But yeah, not everyone starts off on that level of the playing field. Yeah, and I think that's one of those red flag things as well. Like if somebody starts telling you that that your problems are your fault and you need to change something about it, it's probably like a back away slowly situation. Mm. <laughs> we touched on a bit of this stuff and you're pretty outspoken about the coaching world <laughs> online, which is actually one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you because yeah. I think you've got a lot of really interesting things to say that – I just hadn't noticed. Mm. What are some of the subtle things that you do notice in the coaching world online that other people may not be aware of? I guess I'm very in the world. So I see a lot of the fashion of what people are saying come through. So somebody will come out and they'll be like, oh, it turns out that your relationship with your sexuality is just the same as your relationship with your money. And when they, the first person that comes out with that, it's like it's quite fresh and new. And then I'll see like a big wave of it come out. And I'll see a lot of people just start saying the same thing, basically. And then I'll, but that's very much the world that I'm in. So I'll see that then somebody will say that in the street and people will be like, wow, that's amazing. And it's like, <laughs> oh, it's like literally almost copying a meme or something in the coaching world right now. <laughs> well, something you've mentioned to me actually is how people subtly coach you in their comments on your posts. Yeah. Yep. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've done a few posts about don't give people advice that haven't asked for advice because I'm, I'll quite often put out things that I could say I know the answer to. I put out things that provoke thought in people and then and it might be a comment that a client gave me or it might be just a statement um, and then people will come back and they'll kind of, in the comments and they'll kind of try and coach me on it and they'll point me in the direction of some books I should read and stuff and it's like, yeah, thanks. I really wasn't, <laughs> wasn't asking for that, but yep. Actually, I've had an almost similar experience um, lately online. Just I did a couple of posts about arguments online and, the, <laughs> and people just seem to be drawn to like sharing their opinion or you know as being right about a certain thing it's, it's sort of really interesting even something that i posted as a joke became an oh object my God. of like heated. ron's post about the oxford comma oh like how many comments about to like 80 yeah something like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i nearly jumped on that one myself but yeah i know i see i just see a bit of a parallel there <laughs> yeah 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 i mean the online world i have to really ration my time on it as well because there's so much stuff that people are putting on there about sex and relationships that is just horrifying to see. Mm -hmm. There was a, there's a couple of people at the moment in one of the groups that I'm in really pitching women like how they can learn how to use their superpowers basically to control men mm. in those words like literally mm. and of course there's a lot of people who are like wow I've always felt like I'm on the back foot how do I do this and it's like it's so it's so negative so really you know remembering that everybody online it's just like you're in a mall or something like they're not necessarily all spreaders of truth and wisdom by any means and not all of the quotes and posts that you read are, are worth following <laughs> it's definitely something that we both struggle with at times and it's just the reality of being a yoga teacher and i'm sure the reality of being a coach today you do have to put in a certain amount of time online to reach new people mm -hmm. Is there anything that really works for you or any advice for other people who do struggle with putting themselves out there that you want to share? Do your mindset work before you go online. The mindset work that I do is like I imagine myself as I'm already in my business exactly where I want to be 
And then I'll write like, now that I'm this person, I show up like this, I act like this, this is how I do my business. And then when I do that for a few pages and I can get online and really be in the energy that I want to be in, get on, do my thing and then get off. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> because it's so easy to spend all your time on there and like watch how many comments you've got and how many likes or, or see a post like I do where you're like, oh, how could you be saying that to people? And I don't want to be that person that wades in and gets into these arguments online and is like, I'm a coach, I know all about this. Like, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so I think getting yourself in the right headspace and definitely time boxing it. I guess as well, like there's a bit of a challenge between showing up how you want to be online but also feeling like you're being authentic so what do you what would your advice be to people who just feel like they're being like it's just hard to show their authentic selves yeah I think it's so weird the psychology around this because I think it isn't but we feel like it is and we make it weird and I definitely did this so much when I first started and I mean I I still do it if I'm not consciously making sure that I don't I just get a bit weird online I'll be like oh what do people want to hear they want to see me doing this aspirational thing. And it's like, I would never, if I ran into you in the street, I'd never be like, so here's my aspirational news. <laughs> like, <laughs> I would be like, so it's, I was finding that blend of like, what, what is real? What do I really talk about? Who really am I? But pulling back a bit as well, because you do see people who are like, they'll do a live stream and they'll be crying because they had a fight with somebody or something. And it's like, you don't have to put everything on there. But, but we do make it harder for ourselves by thinking it's hard to be authentic. Like, it's not. You are you. How do you speak? What stories do you share with people? And if you're really, really stuck, if you're a yoga teacher or a coach, don't share stuff about yourself. Be like, this is what happened in the yoga class today. That's true. That's real. That's what people that want. People want to know that. If they're going to work with you, they want to know, oh, well, we did this class and somebody said this on the way out or whatever it is. That's well, This is the shoulder sequence you can do at your desk. Yeah, like amazing. You don't have to, like, we feel like we have to make something up and actually... We don't. We're already doing the thing. So, with the stuff you do post online, do you try and encourage discussion or or not, or uh, or do you feel you might get some of that negative feedback? Yes, yeah, so I haven't had many haters, and that's been really good. I haven't had much negative engagement at all, which is really surprising considering especially considering some of the stuff that I share about. I'm quite surprised that that has been the case. I do sort of try and encourage discussion. But I think I, I'm a very harmonious diplomatic type of person. So I think I don't tend to post things where everyone's like, ah, and I'm actually learning to get better and better at that because that, you know, social media is actually for it to be effective for a business, you actually have to engage with people. Mm. So you can't be just like posting, oh, here's me doing this amazing thing. Like you actually want to be having literally conversations and getting interactions and things. So I'm a bit hit and miss with that. I think often that's because I'm not communicating simply enough because my background is journalism. So I tend to write war and peace about everything and bring it back to that simplicity. And that ties into the authenticity thing as well, because sometimes some of the best posts I've done have been like tiny little snippets that almost I wouldn't have thought were worth posting. But I forget that not everyone knows all the stuff that I know. So a little snippet for them can be like, wow, really? That's possible? And I guess as well, if that little snippet was in like a 300-word paragraph. It gets like, missed. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I've done a lot of those. I probably should go back and back and dig them out. Oh, and I wanted to say something else about being able to feel safe to be authentic and be seen online as well because I think a lot of us get really scared. And, and I mean, that's totally valid because evolutionarily, like if we did something that made us stand out, there was a risk we were going to get rejected by the tribe. <laughs> So the fear is real. Like we have a nervous system fear. I might get ostracized if I look like a dick online. I, hopefully you don't mind a tiny bit of swearing in your podcast. No. Oh, no, we've, got, we've had much swearing, I guess. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. So, um, so I say like the mindset work and then like literally grounding and soothing your nervous system a lot because putting yourself out there online, putting yourself out there in a business, is it feels terrifying. And I think that throws us into that, 
oh, it's terrifying, therefore I need to put on this act, therefore it needs to be perfect, therefore everything that I need, I need to like be super successful within six months, blah, blah, blah. And it's like getting yourself in the right frame of mind, doing the thing and then grounding yourself, going for a walk in nature, like doing a meditation, like calming down so that you, so that literally your body learns, hey, you know what, it's safe to do this. It's safe. I actually enjoy it. And then you can set up the positive patterns around it and stop some of the freak out. <laughs> I think I'm the, the opposite. I think I'm a bit too dumb to feel the fear. <laughs> and then I'll post something and then be, oh, maybe I shouldn't have posted that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you, you would if you were in my shirt. <laughs> Hello, Ran here, just popping back in to talk about our Patreon page. Patreon is just a way where you can support our podcast from as little as $1 a month. Higher tiers get great benefits such as shout outs on the podcast or access to extra content. And speaking of which, I've just uploaded a video with Amy Bell, who came on the podcast a little while ago, where she demonstrates a simple NLP technique that you can use to quickly enter a flow state. It's a great clip. She is a natural in front of the camera. So go and have a look. Now, we also use the funds to transcribe our favorite episodes so they can be accessed by the hearing impaired. If you would like to learn more, just go to our website at podcast.flowartist.com. Now, if you'd rather not help us out financially, you can always like, share, or subscribe to the podcast. It really helps spread the word. All right, let's get back to the conversation with Ruth. And I imagine that kind of like before getting yourself in the right frame of mind and then aftercare is maybe something you'd have to do with your coaching sessions as well because it Mm. sounds like you work with some pretty deep stuff with people. Do you have a bit of a process of your own self-care at the end of your sessions? Yeah, I do. One of the big, big shifts for me was really clicking it more solidly into that service perspective and reminding myself that what happens in the coaching session is it's not down to me. I'm not making it work or making it happen for them. Like I'm really channeling. I'm holding space for their own healing to happen. That's a huge relief because I think I used to find this when I ran yoga workshops as well. If I was in my ego, I would be absolutely high and then wiped out. Like it would kill me. But when I could step into that space of like I'm I'm creating this, I'm channeling something else, this is not all about me, this is holding space for them, then it would really be different with my energy. So I don't find I tend to get super drained, but, yeah, quite often big stuff comes up when you start looking at people's sexual trauma and there will be a session and it doesn't feel super draining at the end but can kind of get a bit of sort of energetic residue if you like. So I have practices and one of the things that I do and I teach this to my clients as well is like shaking, which is literally just like shaking, shaking for two to five minutes, doing something, going for a walk and really getting into that practice of celebrating. Like what were three things that worked really, really well about that session? So that I keep showing, again, I'm working with my nervous system, right? I'm, I'm showing my nervous system like this is positive, wiring myself to be really really positive about it so that it doesn't feel like oh god I dealt with three people who uncovered stuff that they didn't even know it had you know because what happens sometimes is that people will go through a few sessions and they'll suddenly remember something that they didn't even realize had been a problem and they'll be like oh shit now I'm working with this and that is actually a breakthrough because that's like that's something that their system had repressed before and didn't feel safe to come out so when it comes out it feels like ah but it's actually it's actually amazing but if I have three of those in a day then it can be like what is happening in my life so yeah being able to practice that yeah aftercare yeah to use a yoga and kink term all in one (laughs) (laughs) 
So this is a left of centre question. Before we were chatting about like going to the naturopath and you just know that the first visit that you've been to after a while, they'll tell you to stop drinking coffee (laughs) and stop eating weight. (laughs) Is there a relationships and sexuality equivalent that is just a great thing to start with with everyone, something Uh, that usually is helpful for most people? The way I think about it is I think of your internal world as a bit like a garden and when you come to coaching or when you're doing yoga, I think of it as like you're trying to grow maybe new plants or strengthen ones that you really, really like. So the first thing is to put a wall around your existing garden to stop animals coming in and eating it. I think everyone needs to put a wall around their garden, which is literally like more self-care and like self-recognition, man. Like we are so bad at recognizing ourselves. Like quite often it will take clients quite a few weeks before they can easily come up with three things to celebrate at the start of a session. And in context, like the celebrations, they can be, I really loved my coffee this morning and my cat was funny and I'm wearing my favorite t-shirt. Like they don't have to be, I won the lottery and I did really well at work, but it's like we put so much pressure on ourselves that it's only worth celebrating something if it's really, really big. And the the wall around the garden is just that self-care piece where a lot of the time we practice self-care from that place of like almost survival or we're very begrudging with how we practice our self-care. And it's quite often like self-improving self-care, like, oh, self-care, so I will go to yoga, which is nice, but how much nicer is it if it's like, I'm gonna go to yoga because I love going to yoga? rather than because I should. Mm. How much nicer is it if you if you watch half an hour of Netflix? Like, delight in it, you know? Let it be really, really fun. Don't be like, oh, well, can't do anymore, so I'm going to do this half hour of Netflix. So I'd say those are the things every single person I work with has to work on those quite a lot. I guess that comes from a very tantric worldview, doesn't it? Mm. Like, really just immersing yourself in everything you do. Yeah, yeah. 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 And finding, like, the, the love and the consciousness in everything as well. So the consciousness being, oh, well, I'm, I've decided I'm going to watch this Netflix And then the love, like, well, is it loving to be like, well, (laughs) only because you can't keep going anymore? Is it loving to be like, you know what, I'm going to give myself this. Why not? Um, It seems like as well that is something that really comes up with people around food, Mm. especially food that people see as a treat and not just being going like, right, this cake looks amazing. I'm going to savor every mouthful rather than just feeling guilty before you even start eating it. Oh, yeah. Just punishing yourself over (laughs) it. Yeah, Yeah, I'm going to feel guilty in advance, during and after (laughs) for quite a while, potentially. (laughs) Until I have a really hard yoga class. (laughs) Yeah, totally. There's something else that everyone needs to learn actually as well. And that's being able to handle, being able to love all of our emotions. This is a huge one. This is a huge one for men as well, because we've all been culturally conditioned and conditioned in different ways that there are emotions that are not appropriate, not okay. And a lot of women and men now have got this terror of feeling angry. Like they, a lot of my clients will be like, and this is me as well, like five years ago, like I never get angry. I was so proud of myself because I thought I just didn't have any anger. Like I didn't realize that's a really bad sign, Ruth. Like you (laughs) need to have your anger. Biologically, we need to have our anger. And like having a difficult difficult relationship with anxiety, having a different relationship with guilt, like all of those things. And when we feel them, we're like, oh, this is bad. I shouldn't feel it. I'm going to fight it. That's disempowering. You've got this internal war. Like people put so much energy into, for example, like, feeling a bit low one morning and then you're like, oh, how could I still be feeling low? Like I've been working on myself for years. And then you're like, it just makes it so much worse. And if you can start to see those things and be like, huh, yeah, I feel pretty shit right now. <laughs> how can I like still, how can I love the shitty feeling? How, how can I be approach this differently? Yeah, every single person I think pretty much has that as a mm. thing to look at. Yeah. Is there another side to that as well though where it's a bit of a license to be a dick? <laughs> so if you know you're just a bit obnoxious to people and maybe not particularly compassionate but just be like but this is just me living my truth 
Yeah. Yeah. You do see that. That hasn't ever come up with any of my clients because my clients have been amazingly beautiful people. And I guess that comes back to the tantra thing of consciousness and love. Like, okay, I'm conscious that I've I'm feeling very, very cold to be an obnoxious asshole right now. <laughs> there's the consciousness. Yeah, maybe. And like, is it loving the, to me to do that in the context of like, okay, there's heaps of traffic. <laughs> yeah, like people do use it as a license to be a dick. It's just me. It's just me. I'm just a bitch. Like, no. Well, consciousness is about like going, well, that's actually inflicting myself on other people. Yeah, yeah like you see those posters that if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best sort oh, of thing. Yeah. It seems very, very self-indulgent. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what's the balance here? <laughs> yeah. And I've also seen yoga teachers actually posting about being positive all the time. And I think that's really, I guess, dangerous in a sense as well, I think. And and stuff about having negative emotions. I personally don't see emotions as being negative. It's sort of the way that you might, I guess, project them that can be negative, but I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point though, because there is a lot of like positivity washing. There's two extremes. There's the people that will only ever say things that are positive and they'll be like, oh, high vibe only, everyone, high vibe only, which is like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the people who are like, here's my trauma from today. And it's like, wow, like... The, the ability to be able to hold both of those things without feeling your emotions isn't about indulging your emotions, right? Mm. That's where people go wrong. They're like, I'm angry, therefore I should scream. And it's like, maybe you should go out and scream yourself, but like you don't have to make a big story about it and indulge it any more than you have to repress it. It's like finding that sweet balance in between. <laughs> Mm. And I guess as well, often when you do have a really massive outburst is when you weren't conscious earlier on where you're like, okay, I'm a bit agitated today. Like I'm going to notice that. Yes. And you know, it's nothing to do with the person at the cafe or in traffic. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that happens with everyone. I see that with coaching couples is one of the funniest ones. I say <laughs> funny. I don't know. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of laughter in my coaching sessions. Like they find it funny too. But every single session, the first time we do something that we'll just be going through, I just take them through a clarity process that usually feels a bit redundant because usually if they're working with me, they're pretty committed to each other. So we just go through, you know, do you feel safe? Do you feel accepted by your partner? Blah, blah, blah. Nearly always there'll be a couple of things where one of them will say something and the other one will be like, what? <laughs> because there are things that we just don't ever talk about. So we kind of, it's similar to repressing emotions in, in relationships because we're so invested in making them work. Because this is the person we care about most in the world, right? We don't want to do anything to make them feel bad or threaten things. But when we do that, we kind of suffocate things because there's stuff that we haven't said. And then we're not completely being ourselves. And then you kind of end up in this weird sort of, happy but like not completely free space together and like the couple a couple that I had the other day I posted about this because it's so funny because they were talking about what their what their desires are and he was like oh you know sometimes I want to be a bit spontaneous like a bit naughty and she was just like oh naughty and I was like okay cool so what does naughty mean to you and he was like oh you know like fooling around during the day a bit of lingerie and she was like what? Like she, whenever he said naughty, she went into a place of like BDSM dungeons. <laughs> <laughs> so she would totally shut down. They hadn't even talked about it since they first got together, which was eight years ago. They haven't had this conversation. So she's thinking that her partner secretly really desires her to be in a like a rubber dungeon of some sort doing these <laughs> things. And so she's like, oh, like, don't even know what to do with, like, I don't know what to do with his perversion is what she's thinking. He's thinking, my wife is actually so shut down that I can't actually even ask her to wear lingerie because that's just overwhelming. So they're both completely living in this false, false idea of each other. And after that, I was like, you're welcome. That's the session. We've been here five minutes. But I feel like that was <laughs> such a big breakthrough because they were like looking at each other like, right, we need to go now. <laughs> <laughs> we need to get naughty. 
<laughs> um, but it's amazing how many of those sorts of things are going on for people. And so not to put my own preconceptions on people, but do you think often it's something that's come from a past relationship, whereas a previous person she was with, that's what naughty meant to them? And so what do you think it's just like? Oh, like it can be, but it's just amazing how many misunderstandings there are. And I think this is dare I say it, worse, worse in monogamous relationships because there's all of these assumptions in monogamy that come along like, well, now we're together so we won't cheat and we kind of agree that we know what cheating means. A lot of the time we, that discussion is never had. It's never discussed what, you know, what's okay and what isn't, which is where it's different to open or poly or whatever relationships because they tend to have those discussions. So I talk to couples all the time where it's like one of them thought that staying in touch with exes is considered cheating another person didn't you know is is dancing with somebody at a party is flirting with somebody like off off limits or not like there are all of these different things that seem very like you kind of like oh well that's obvious like we'll both feel we'll, we'll be on the same page won't we but very often not and then it might just mean that you have a little bit of a scuffle every few years somebody does something where it's like I'm not too sure about that but that is like a, a tip of the iceberg thing for a lot of other stuff that happens so it tends to mean that people aren't quite in that dynamic where they ever feel like they can ask for what they want in case the other person thinks they're for a freak or they're too demanding or whatever it is. So it's it's just a bit sad. It just kind of keeps you playing in this level of safety where everyone's comfortable, but most of us don't want comfortable. Most of us want like to feel like we've got a soul-to-soul connection with somebody and they would love us no matter what we did and all of, and like feel completely free. So that's that's really fun to work with because then that's like literally, here's the other thing. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting into a bit, a bit of a ranty oh, thing. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is, this is quite often what homework I'll give people is to do something very undignified and very, very ridiculous together fairly regularly. Oh, we did that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Good work. <laughs> but so that if you're in bed or you're in an intimate situation and one of you does something and doesn't work, doesn't matter like people get so like oh if I want to seduce him or her then it needs to be perfect and smooth and like if I fart or sneeze or, or I spit my noodles or fall over or whatever it is it's going to be a catastrophe it's like so it's literally practicing so that it's okay for things to not work and then it's also okay to say yes to things and okay to say no to things so if somebody's like hey could you dress up as a bunny rabbit you can be like, hell no. Like but it's styles like, or sexy styles? Any style. <laughs> so it's safe for both. And actually like literally practicing that because most of us haven't had any practice saying no, haven't had any practice actually being able to articulate. Actually, you know what? I don't want to do that, but I would lo- I'd be very happy to do this. You know, I don't want to give you a three-hour massage tonight. I'm really tired, but I'll give you a 10-minute foot massage, you know. So it's really, really amazing doing that because you can just see like so much more freedom and liberation and intimacy coming in straight away. And I guess yeah. as well, like just... <laughs> purposefully doing something ridiculous together mm. like that's when you kind of have adventures <laughs> it really is though yeah I haven't done it for quite a while actually but my partner and I will do it and I hate it every time <laughs> I hate it so much I'm not good at it I'm not good at yeah like I still have enough nervous system resistance to be like I don't want to that's terrifying I don't want to be undignified he'll like challenge me to like run around like run outside the yard that all the neighbors houses look down on naked or something come back in and then I'll ch- I'll challenge him to like cover himself in yogurt and do the same thing and I yeah. like how you up the stakes <laughs> so well if you're already comfortable with naked I think you should add some yogurt <laughs> he's actually very very hard to embarrass so you have, you have to try pretty hard there's actually a practice that I, that I do where you do that and then and this is the bit that this is the killer you then kind of pretend to be an animal for a little while together 
and you can change animal, but you have to stay as an animal for a while. And it is so ridiculous. <laughs> so it starts off being really ridiculous, but it really actually connects to your like childish side and also kind of a primal side of you where you like might be growling or squawking or whatever it is. I want to do this like I'm doing chicken wings with my arms. <laughs> I love how you do like a really sexy animal. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like it doesn't have to be a sexy animal. Um, but it's ridiculous that we have sexy animals. <laughs> yeah. So I was just thinking about our sexy cat meow. Wow. Yeah, our cat's got a really whiny meow, and so we're just like, oh, what if he had a really sexy meow? Like really nice, and just like, wow. We'd feed him more often. <laughs> he's out there listening. He's going to yeah. be like, oh, that's the trick. Yeah. He's a really good-looking cat, but he's just got such an annoying whiny meow. <laughs> have you seen those memes with the cat where they'll they'll put another voice over the cat and kind of go, meow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he needs that definitely. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but we digress. Yeah. You might have already touched on this, but what do you love most about coaching? I think getting the moment in a session where like somebody's eyes light up and you can see that just this huge space of possibilities opened up for them. I think that would be one of them. And that happens when people realise and, and actually connect that they have everything that they need inside of them. And when they connect with what that is, it's the best moment ever. Because quite often they'll come and they'll be like, oh, you know, I just want to improve my relationship, blah, blah, blah. And we'll kind of explore, like, what do you really want? What do you really want? What do you really want? And then there'll be a point where they're like, oh, I actually want to be like this freaking wild, orgasmic queen woman. And I'll be like, yes, this is what you really want. Connecting with their desires would be one of the biggest ones. Relationships coaching is super fun, like with couples, just even just seeing the dynamic between them, clearing up a tiny thing. But even just getting them in the space of safety where they're working on their relationship together, it's one of my favourite moments. I don't know, I feel like I was somehow always going to be a coach because I'm kind of nosy. <laughs> and I'm kind of always been very encouraging. And it gets me to really, really indulge those parts with a spiritual angle. So that's like half a dozen favourite points. So <laughs> No, that's great. And so what do you think are the biggest challenges in coaching or that you've found? I'd say one of the challenges is communicating what coaching actually is to people because it's such a big unregulated industry as we've just been talking about and people will catch on to buzzwords. So if I use a word that's sort of worked for me online last week, three people will be saying they do the same thing this week. And it's very hard for people to differentiate or to even know what that means. So like I talk about body wisdom and everyone's like, oh yeah, I know about body wisdom. Well, you don't, but I can't, I'm not going to argue. You know, I'm not, it's not my job to go out and argue with everyone about what their understanding of things is. So I think a lot of people miss out on it because they're not sure what it is. They get a taste or two of some different types that aren't the same. It's a little bit like people going to the wrong yoga class and going, oh, it's not for me. It's like such a shame because you know that there probably is something that would benefit them so hugely but it feels even more kind of acute with coaching because there's so many people out there just stuck in patterns that they're not getting what they want they're miserable they may or may not want to admit it they'll be like I'm fine and it's sort of sad seeing that and just hoping and trusting that their path is going to give them what they need at some point because <laughs> it's not like yeah I don't, I don't I'm not there being like oh you need me but I can very often I'll see people talking about patterns that they're in or something and it's like oh I'd like They'll be constantly attracting the wrong people or they'll be in a really bad codependent dynamic. And most people don't realise when they're in a bad dynamic. So it's hard kind of seeing that and kind of suggesting that it might be interesting to explore, but people not. But I guess this is down to my communication skills, but it's not always obvious to people that I'm actually trying to help them and I'm not just trying to sell them a big package. I think mm. as well, especially when you are in a pattern or a dynamic 
with any aspect of your life, it can just feel like this is what life is. Totally, yeah. Yeah, so it's funny because the hard bit around coaching has nothing to do with the coaching. It's just to do with the business of it. I think that's probably true of yoga teaching as well. I think most teachers actually love yeah. the teaching and the sharing yeah. and struggle with the marketing or the keeping track of your finances or just the studio politics and all of those oh, things yes, that aren't yes. actually teaching yoga <laughs> totally. but just come with the job. Yeah, yep. How is advice from a coach different from advice from a friend? Yeah, I love this question so much. <laughs> Depending on, like there are lots of different ways that coaches work, but a session with me, it's not very much of it that is like a, that is like talking to a friend. The initial bit where we're talking could be a bit like that, but, but then I'll literally guide you through a process to be connecting with your own body wisdom. Whereas like if you come and tell me that you've just, you know, you've had a trauma or, so, or you're desiring something or other, we might talk about it and workshop it, but I'm not going to be like, so where do you feel that? And give it a voice and like go through all of that. So it's really radically, radically different. Because I think that can be, I know I've thought this, where it's like, oh, is it a symptom of our modern times that now we need like a professional coach person to help us with issues with our life, whereas maybe in the past we just would have talked to our friends about it? Totally, totally, yeah. I think we have lost a lot of that village wisdom that we used to have. Uh, and I think, and I well, I know for a fact that there are a lot of coaches out there who they will be, their coaching will be talking to you and referring you to books and doing that sort of thing. Whereas the, the tantra-based coaching is, it's more about guiding you, guiding you through a process to find out what's going on for you inside. So there might be a bit of advice from me. Quite often people will say their favorite bits were the bits where I threw in a little story or something, but that's how rare it will be. They'll remember at the end that I threw in a story because it's not me going, yeah, so I think you should text this and, and that. It's like really taking people through specific practices to like work through. So attachment, you know, attachment theory, shadow work, working through stuff around inner child stuff, family of origin dynamics, which is almost nothing comes from me to the point where I've had clients where we've got to be quite good friends and we've had to book double sessions. So there's a bit of time for us to talk at the end <laughs> because it's, it's not a talking dynamic and it's not like chit chatting. So I, I really feel like you need both because there's a degree of evolution and transformation that you get through coaching that you won't get through talking to friends, but you really need friends too. And like, who wants to have only deep and meaningful conversations? Like you need somebody who's going to be like, yeah, he's a bastard or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess as well, as part of the training that you've done, you have done that inner work on yourself as well and maybe explored your own biases because we all have them. And yeah. if you're talking to a friend, it's unfiltered. So the advice they'll give you is based on either what's worked for them in their life or, you know, their own kind of feelings towards the other person in the situation. Yeah. All of these other things that you would consciously take out of the equation or just be aware of if you were a coach yeah. rather than just a mate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Although I will say coaching, I think, has definitely made me a much better friend because in the past when people came, when people were going through things, I didn't really know how to help them. I was like, oh, like, do I try and help a lot? Do I give them space? Like, do I try and give them wisdom? Like, I always felt like, oh, I don't know if I'm really being very helpful or supportive or whatever it is. I've got the skills now to know, like, how to just let them go through their process and interject with little bits that I think might be helpful. And that feels pretty amazing. One of my friends is dating at the moment and she was doing that thing where she'd been on three dates with somebody and decided she didn't want to see him again. She was like, oh, I feel so mean calling it off, like blah, blah, blah. I was just be kind, not nice, because what nice is saying what you think he wants to hear, being kind is letting him go and actually find somebody that wants to be with him. So it feels pretty good because I kind of got the stuff to just fire off to people now. I'm a pretty good friend in that way. But yeah, but I also don't feel like I, I'm ever too much or not enough. 
I've got another question <laughs> like about relationships and dating mm. now because when I was out and about meeting people, <laughs> like there was no Tinder and there was no, I think there might have been like match.com or something, but there definitely wasn't an app where you could just scroll through people yeah. and decide or reject. <laughs> so I love your point of view on how it's just changed relationship dynamics now that you can kind of go shopping for people. Yeah. Yeah, I think it ha- it has. And I, I actually think it's, I mean, people get really freaked out about it and you hear them be like, oh, it's the worst thing that ever happened to dating. I actually think it's quite a positive thing in a lot of ways. Yeah, the people definitely get into dynamics where they get addicted to the matches and they're using it for, for um, just to make themselves feel good. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I'd never got home late at night and been like, I had a terrible night, I'm just going to get a couple of matches to make myself feel better before I go to bed. Like, really, Ruth? But I think that's definitely a thing. But a lot of the people that I met online with the the current dating world and with the Me Too movement as well, like a lot of guys that I met online are like, I would never ask somebody out face-to-face these days. Like, what if they say I'm a creep? What if it wrecks our friendship? Like, it's just, I literally won't do it. And people who are wanting to explore like non-traditional dynamics as well, like maybe they, all, all sorts of non-traditional dynamics, they can just put that online and, and be honest about it. Like you don't have to have an awkward conversation. It's like, yeah, it's in my profile. This is what I'm into. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's actually quite good. I think it's just about managing your expectations and like being positive about it. Because if you go, if like, if you, if you assume that dating apps are like the end of civilization and people are never going to be able to commit to each other and this is just how it is now. (laughs) That's your profile text. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you laugh, but some of them are not that different. Yeah. Because I mean, there's a whole school of people out there that are thinking that dating apps are the end of civilization and sex robots are going to be where it's at and nobody's ever going to connect with anybody else anymore and all of that stuff like yeah you can look at the world like that the same way as you can look at it as like is the how much more is it warmed up today like how bad is politics or you can just be like well you know this is just how it is now we do everything else online it's not that different to being in a bar either people also be like oh it's so superficial it's like oh it's not superficial to pick up somebody that you think is cute at a bar then like it's not really that different so I think overall probably positive thing I guess that takes us to the end of our questions. We have one more. (laughs) (laughs) We have our ultimate question. We have our ultimate question. All right, so if you could distill everything that you've learned (laughs) and everything that you share and teach down into one key essence, what do you think that one thing would be? Yeah, I was looking at that. That's like a really hard question. It's like a one-liner from my (laughs) entire life experience. I think it would be something like trust yourself. (laughs) No, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah, it's great. I think that would be it. No. I was thinking about that before I, before we did this and I was like, oh, and I just keep coming back to it. It's like if you can trust yourself, that's you're going to be okay. Well, yeah. thank you so much. <laughs> thanks yeah, for to being with you. us and sharing your wisdom with us. So, yeah, thanks. Oh, no, thanks. It's heaps of fun. And that was our episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As I mentioned at the start, Ruth has a lot of interesting insights on the yoga and coaching worlds, and I really enjoyed the conversation. If you've got any feedback, we'd really love to hear from you. You can join our Facebook group, the Flow Artist Podcast Community, or reach us on our website, podcast.flowartist.com. All right, for our next episode, we are speaking with Donna Noble. Donna Noble is a yoga teacher from the UK who specializes in accessible yoga, body positive yoga, and more. It's a wonderful conversation, and I can't wait to share it with you. As always, our theme song is Baby Robots by Go Soul and is used with permission. Get his music from gosoul.bandcamp.com. This episode was recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We are merely guests here and we honour them as the true custodians of the land. 
Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you spending your valuable time with us. Aroha nui. Big, big love.